0: Welcome to Find the Magic, the podcast that will help you honor yourself, your kids, and your partner.
1: We'll give you tips and strategies to create peace and authenticity within your family. We inhale a ridiculous amount of books and life tools and distill the information for you. I'm Carolyn Griffin. I'm Caitlin Gabriel. And I'm Felicia Allen. Let's find the magic together.
0: For those of our listeners in Utah, which I know there are a lot, I wanted to share A super applicable resource and that is Utah House Doctors. Um, You can find them at Instagram at Utah House Doctors or on their website at Doctors.com. Right now in this hot market, it seems like a lot of people are attempting to sell their homes on their own and they're missing out on selling their home at a much higher price as well as the marketing power of a real estate agent and website. Um, Utah House Doctors in Utah is one of the top sellers here and I can tell you from personal use that they are such an amazing team, so many good resources and skill as well if you are looking to buy a home. So I encourage you to check them out. If you are in Utah, that's utahhousedoctors.com or on Instagram at Utah House Doctors. All right. Well, Jen, welcome to Find the Magic. Um, Caitlin and I are here and we are huge fans of you. Our third host, Tara Lynn, is also a personal fan. She is sick, not with COVID, but she is sick. So she's not here today. Um, uh-huh. And we're just all honored to have you. Great. Thanks for having me. So can you introduce yourself to our audience a little bit? Sure.
2: So I'm uh, Jennifer Finlayson Fife, and I'm a licensed therapist and coach, and I do my work primarily around couples issues um, and individual issues around sex and intimacy, so relationships and and sexuality, and... Um, and so I do a lot of online teaching and teaching in person during non-COVID times and then, you know, online coaching. And so, um, yeah, I, I, it's great work and I really enjoy it. And I do a lot of podcasting, so that's why I'm here.
0: <laughs> I love listening to you on, on podcasts and hearing your different takes based on audience. Um, yeah. Can you share uh, your journey into becoming a therapist and your specific Um, path or inkling to go into this work? Because I know that has directed where you've gone with your work and also directed the advice that you give people.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah, so I grew up um, as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So I grew up in a religious paradigm that was really um, meaningful for me and gave me a sense of direction and kind of uh, meaning around relationships and integrity and doing the right thing, and I also within the culture saw things that I thought I, I would map people's unhappiness, particularly in their relationships, and particularly women's unhappiness in their relationships, and and so I kind of had a dual experience of both seeing a lot of meaning and goodness as well as people who were struggling in particular ways within marriages and women struggling with their sense of self and their sense of their sexuality. So I was just kind of aware of it and thinking about it a lot, like abnormal for most kids. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so when I was an adolescent, I really knew that I wanted to be a therapist. I wasn't sure that I, I was capable enough to get like a PhD, which I thought you know it was going to take, but I really wanted to. And then as I got older, became an adult, it was clear to me that's what I wanted. And so when I was in my Ph.D. program, um, I was asked to teach a human sexuality course to undergraduates at Boston College. And so I was getting a lot of personal writings of it was a Jesuit school. So there was a lot of Catholic students and I was getting a lot of the writings of students around sexuality And I saw a lot of the internal turmoil and conflict, especially with the women. Mm -hmm. And this was about the time that I was trying to come up with a dissertation topic. And so it made me start thinking a lot about what are LDS women's experiences. And on the one hand, I can see how standards within the faith are protective of women. But I can also see how women have internalized messages that are diminishing of their sense of self and their sexuality. So I really wanted to understand LDS women's experiences both premaritally and in marriage and so that was the focus of my dissertation I knew I wanted to do marriage counseling that's what I was training to do and so it was a nice fit with the kind of work I was hoping to do and so um so that's re- what I do when i it's been really satisfying to help couples um and women in particular to come to deeper peace with their sexuality and their sense of self because I really see this is true for men and women, but I think when women are not at peace within themselves and within their bodies and within their sexuality and at peace with their desires, you know, they really are in a kind of internal contradiction that makes them weaker and more self-doubting. So this isn't just about having better sex or being more Mm -hmm. happily married. It's which all those things matter, mm-hmm. but it's even about just being at the deeper peace within your own skin.
0: Mm-hmm. And what do you think those friction points are when you are religious that prevent you from knowing yourself fully?
2: Yeah. Well, one is I think just a general fear of sexuality and a general fear of desire, and I think this is true again for men and women, but I think especially true for women because. We feel we're often taught that desire and pleasure undermine the virtue and the goodness of the woman. So I grew up learning a lot of messages like, you know, the really good women are kind of needless and wantless. They kind of sacrifice their wants for the benefit of their children and their husbands and, you know, Mm -hmm. others. And so there's a kind of noble suppression of self that doesn't even if no one says to you, good women don't like sex, you know, Mm -hmm. that you still kind of feel that. You feel that idea because you don't, you're not indulgent if you're a good woman. You're Mm -hmm. not, you're modest. You kind of suppress your sexual feelings. And so even though a lot of religious women learn, oh, well, sex is good in marriage and especially good to kind of offer sexuality for your husband's sake, Mm -hmm. the reference is in a kind of selflessness for the sake of the husband rather than any model of how you actually integrate sexuality and desire um, within the context of marriage. So in as much as you've seen yourself in marriage as kind of suppressing yourself for the benefit of a husband, um, then you're going to really struggle to know what it would even mean or be like to have a sexual uh, um, relationship that's an honest reflection of you. And that you actually desire and want. So um, so these are often implicit meanings, but they really do wreak havoc for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And in that you're dismissing
0: your own wants and desires. And I think that yes. happens with marriage. I think that is culturally taught. And then when you have kids, it's almost
2: innate as a woman to dismiss Absolutely. that. Yeah, that's right. There, exactly. When you have children, there is a kind of self-suppression that's needed, especially with very young children, because mm-hmm. it's it's necessary for their survival. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you're not getting up at 2 a.m. because you want to. You're mm-hmm. getting up at 2 a.m. because it's the right thing to do. And and so there's an intensity of demand that this little person has. And so it's adaptive, to use that language, for women to put their other needs and desires aside for a period But I think for some people, it gets codified, like it's the way to be a woman, Mm -hmm. rather than a season in a woman's life and a period of, of meaningful sacrifice, but ultimately that there's room for you to be whole and to develop parts of yourself and to belong to your own desires and development. A lot of women get kind of stuck in, live through other people, be in service to their needs and desires as a way to have a sense of mattering and that is an inherent and um an inherently limited way of developing a self.
1: Yeah. And I think it's important to I think just becoming aware of this is so empowering because I think I think the first time I heard you speak it was in a podcast and even just some of these things that you were saying just like becoming aware of it was a game changer for me because it was like oh yeah like I almost didn't even yeah. realize that that is kind of a narrative that sometimes we hear or that we're told. But um, but I don't know. When yes. I heard you say it, it was like, okay, that's right. So hearing that, I think, is very yeah. empowering. But what are some, also maybe some other steps that we can take as women, or I mean, even as men too, because they also get the a yeah. narrative of their own. But um, like, what are maybe some steps to take to be able to own that, like own our sexuality and that kind of thing? Well,
2: one thing I think is. Um, you know, I I teach both in workshops and and have an online version of it, a course, called The Art of Desire. And it's a a course for women that's really about self-development as much as it is about sexual self-development. So because what I'm trying to help women see is how they've related. One of the main ideas I talk about is that everybody has desires. It's just for women, they're often taught to kind of, not acknowledge or admit or stand up for their desires in constructive ways. And so their desires are kind of still operating, but often covertly. Yeah. And in ways that are creating resentment. So just as an example, like, you know, you may do a lot of self sacrificing things, but you want to be acknowledged and you want for the things that matter to you to also be made room for. And you're hoping that your spouse will do that or your children will do that or other people that you care about will do that so that you don't have to advocate for your own desires. And when you're not getting it, you start to get resentful because you're like, I'm breaking my back trying to help everybody else and nobody cares about the things that matter to me and for my birthday I got one stupid present and yeah. and so when people mm. and so women often start to feel resentful because they're kind of taught to be self-sacrificing, but the implicit idea is that they will be loved and valued for their self-sacrifice, which often doesn't end up happening. And so it ends up creating resentment. Mm -hmm. There's kind of this idea that I'll be taken care of if I just don't focus on what I want. Mm -hmm. And I think helping women to see that those covert contracts are often operating and undermining the peace in their marriage and allowing people to get more honest with themselves around what it is that they desire and why they have a responsibility to attend to and address those desires i don't mean to say that everything you want you should just go and get and demand that people give to you of mm-hmm. course that's immature in the other direction but that you're thinking more about if i were to for example be happier in my life what do i need to do to have a sense of fulfillment and self outside of my role as a parent for example or if i were to enjoy my sexual relationship more. What would need to change? What do I need to address to make my sexual relationship more desirable to me? So that it means that you're taking deeper responsibility for the life that you want to be living. Mm -hmm. And not waiting for other people to give it to you. Because, you know, you've put it all aside and, and it will just then somehow come to you naturally. So getting more aware of how that's operating helps women to often understand that they need to take deeper responsibility for creating the life that they can feel good about
0: and what is what does that look like inside um an intimate sexual relationship
2: well you know i think that for one thing is that a lot of women are taught that you know once they get married or once they're with someone that loves them especially if they've not had a sexual relationship prior to marriage. It's the idea that my spouse will wake up my sexuality and bring me pleasure and he'll know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I'm kind of a passive participant mm-hmm. and this will be okay. And even if I just make it all about him, I'm still going to find some fulfillment in that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just, not true. Maybe it is for some people somewhere, but I I think (laughs) that in my experience of working with people, it just doesn't work out that way. Because if it's about just sort of being there for the husband, it's all revolving around the husband's desires to the detriment of both people.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Because soon it's just duty sex. It's not about passion. It's not about desire. And a lot of times um, the men are ambivalent too, because they kind of can feel that they're wife is not that into it and they feel, you know, like they're kind of imposing on the wife. Mm-hmm. And so they're more apologetic and that's also not desirable for women. Right. Women don't like apologetic men in sex. And so, um, and so I think when you start thinking of it, which for some people is a very different way of thinking is this is a shared sexual relationship that my sexuality matters as much as my husband's does that my desires and my pleasure are extremely important. They're as important as his. And so um, what is it that I might want? Now, a lot of women are like, I have no idea. I've been taught to never, ever think about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, you know, I'm often trying to help women sort of think through what are the ideas and the meanings that, in fact, appeal to them. Or, um make them want to be more open and physical and sensual. Mm -hmm. And so the more you kind of know who you are as a sexual being, the more ability you have to collaborate with your spouse and create something that's really mutually pleasurable. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think women are so accustomed to being in a frame of caregiving and caretaking that if sex is another version of caregiving or caretaking, it, Will not be desirable. Nobody wants to take care of children all day, then take care of one more big baby. Yeah, <laughs> They don't need another at the kid. end of the day. Yes, <laughs> which often is what people create. So it's, I think for women, it's a it's like a wonderful opportunity to grow a different part of themselves because the most desirable sex for women is there's zero caretaking going on,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and they're being given to, mm-hmm. right that they are receiving pleasure and a kind of nurturance and sustenance through their sexuality. But it's often so antithetical to how they think about who they are that it can be challenging. One of the you know pieces I really focus on a lot is, is learning to receive and learning to be able to be given to and to have pleasure without being in a frame of taking care of someone else at the same time. And that's really essential to good marital sex for women.
0: Something you said once um, has stuck with me, and I don't remember the exact words, but you said if you can see um, sex as a gift to you and receive that gift from your partner, it really changed because I have four kids. The youngest is four months old. And exactly that feeling of... Oh my gosh, it's like another person I need to like do something for. Right. Like heaven forbid if right. I have to like you know, make you feel good. I've been taking care of people exactly right. the caretaker role all day. Right. Um, right. and even because that little understanding piece where I haven't quite figured out what what would fulfill my need and so then it feels like right. even more work to get to a place where I enjoy it and it's like, oh, that's all just a lot of work, frankly. Um, yeah, right. but changing that in your mind to see it as a gift of, I can just lay here and accept this physical feeling. Like, yeah. I mean, you can think of it as, you know, a bubble bath or a massage, all those things that we love. Um, yes. if you switch that in your mind, it kind of removes 100%. the expectation.
2: Mm-hmm. That's a hundred percent. Right. <laughs> you know, like, I remember after I had my first child and then you're supposed to wait six weeks Uh because I had experienced sexuality as being such a way of being taken care of as a way of being given to that. I really missed it for those six weeks because Mm -hmm. I felt so much like my sense of self was being shifted by having a baby and I was taking care of this baby all Mm -hmm. the time. And I missed being able to just, receive in this way that was sustaining to me so Mm -hmm. it's you know which is not how we've been taught to think about sexuality but when you can shift it that way it's like a tremendous gift and it's one of the gifts of masculinity is to be able to love in this way Mm -hmm. to bring tenderness and passion and um desire to your partner to your wife in this way when she's able to receive that, it can be a real gift to both, Mm -hmm. right? Because men often talk about the thing that is sort of their peak sexual experience is to be able to genuinely give pleasure to their wife. Mm -hmm. Like that's just really a powerful way to love. Mm -hmm. And so, so it's, it's unfortunate if we aren't taught that that is a hundred percent acceptable and good. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think there's a lot of power in that mindset shift. And I think a lot of what you talk about is that it's like, we are able to have this relationship with our partner and being able to shift a mindset. Cause you also talk, I've heard you speak a lot about, um, kind of like we have this idea of, I think you've used the word transactional sex of like, okay, like I'll do this for you because this is something you want. But when we, I love that idea of thinking this really is for both of us. And when we can make it into this as you said, like a sustaining way to really build our relationship. Yep. And it really does seem to come back to that mindset shift. Cause if we're just thinking of it, okay, there's another thing I have to do or
2: yeah.
1: whatever. I think it, it totally takes the pleasure or the fulfillment out of it 100%. for us women, especially
2: a hundred percent. I've never once thought <laughs> That this is something I need to do for my husband, mm. and that's why I like it. Yeah, <laughs> it's not like because you. Because if you sex car. with that idea, it would just be terrible. <laughs> mm. <laughs> because it's a place of playing and freedom, and pleasure, not a place of work. And if you make it into a place of work and duty, you pollute it. You take it out of out of a kind of freedom and play. So and for... I think that's so sorry. important. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so for, for our listeners and people who have found themselves where, in a place where it does feel transactional, how can they yeah. kind of reignite that vulnerability, that play, all those
2: things? Well, it's, it's, you know, I think one thing is you have to kind of look at the frame that you're operating in and challenge it for what it is you know, the sort of marital sexual debt idea. Nobody ever says it that explicitly, but that's what a lot of women get taught. I have so many clients who've talked about that their mother said to them the night of their wedding, you know, just make sure you never say no to him so that he doesn't have an affair or look at porn or something. Mm-hmm. So they get this idea that they are supposed to manage the man's sexuality. Mm-hmm. And that's just an idea you have to a hundred percent challenge. Now, that's different than saying, um, how to say it, It, it's a subtle thing, but I think it matters to articulate. this. Mm -hmm. like, also another thing to say, like I've partnered with somebody and so their happiness matters to me, okay? So like, I don't want to just be like, well, I don't feel like it. So, and (laughs) Jennifer said, if I don't feel like it, I I, I don't think you should be flippant in the other direction either. That is to say, like, uh, I have a responsibility to myself, and to my partner to create something that makes us both happy. Mm -hmm. And so I have a responsibility to grow and develop that we can create something shared that is sustaining and meaningful for both of us. So it's not about caretake, you know, I'll take care of you in this way, you take care of me in this way. A lot of people have to say, you provide financially, and then I will sort of you know, nobody says it, but like, mm-hmm. I'll kind of earn mm-hmm. that through my sexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, that's an idea. You can do marriage that way, but it will never be really about love. It's it's more about need fulfillment. Um, so if you want to create something that's about love, it's to say, we are working together to create a meaningful life. Mm-hmm. I'm taking care of the kids, you're providing the money. Those are things that are about our shared purpose if I want a shared sexual relationship Mm -hmm. how can we know ourselves and each other to create something that really is a bridge between the two of us that is really truly desirable for me the woman not just about managing you Mm -hmm. and so it's not about oh I, I don't know what I want so forget it more like what that investment of what do I want is not about keeping the husband happy, but about bringing, developing your whole self. It's really an invitation to kind of grow up more. It's easier to do a role-based transactional marriage than it is to do an intimate marriage where you're really partnering with someone who's different than you and creating a life together where you each bring your strengths and are willing to grow in ways that are unfamiliar to you um, to create something that you can both be happy with. Sometimes we use this idea, like you should put your partner's needs before your own. And I think, I mean, I understand why people say that idea, but I think the truer idea is that it's about creating something where you can both be happy, that you're making sacrifices towards that end, either investing in your own development and the things that really matter to you, or investing in the development of the other and the things that really matter to your spouse, but that you're creating a life you can both feel at peace within. Mm -hmm. And when you don't take care of both, the marriage will always suffer. The people that are the happiest married talk about the fact that the marriage is a place where they feel they can belong to themselves. And belong to their spouse.
0: Mm-hmm. That
2: their sense of self expands and grows even in the context of being partnered. Because some of us think, oh, the way to be partnered is sort of self-sacrifice, shut down my desires and feelings, so my spouse is not unhappy with me. Mm-hmm. But then marriage becomes a kind of prison and mm-hmm. the resentment and the sort of self-constriction runs it. Mm-hmm. So it's but it it takes some courage to reveal what you want, to take the risk of developing who you are rather than just hiding behind the needs or desires of your partner.
0: Yeah. So this is a rough quote, but you said true intimacy is knowing all of someone who they are and who they aren't yet, but want to be, which speaks so much to vulnerability and just being human with your partner,
2: um, which is hard yeah absolutely it is it's It's hard hard. takes courage intimacy takes courage you know we often say oh yeah I want an intimate relationship Mm but a lot of times what we mean is I want somebody who validates me and tells me I'm better than I think I am Mm -hmm. (laughs) and there's nothing wrong with the fact that we want that like that makes sense but I think intimacy is takes a lot more courage which is that it means I'm willing to be knowable even the ugly parts even Mm -hmm. the lesser parts and I'm willing to kind of see myself through your eyes, which sometimes is not a really pretty picture. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so it takes some courage to know who you are and address who you are, but it is really ideal for your development is to be able to see more honestly um, who you are and who your spouse is and to keep growing. I think it builds respect. It builds a true sense of safety because it's built in something honest um and you know that's sexuality is a part of that the best sexuality is a way of knowing and being known it's like bringing your whole self through your physicality to really let yourself be known to yourself and to your spouse and vice versa and it's it's um but it does take courage it's like our most vulnerable part of ourselves and a lot of times we'd rather hide behind our husband's desires or hide you know in a kind of duty frame Mm -hmm. rather than really creating the life that we can feel good about.
0: And I think someplace from a a space um, of what both religion and culture tells women is right, in quotes, when it comes to sexuality is not to be um, vulnerable and free and open because that has been framed as you know, slutty (laughs) to not use a great word, but it's how some of us see being that open, vulnerable person for a man, um, the right way to be in quotes is, you know, buttoned up and proper and he wants me, but I'm not going to, you know, do what he wants, kind of a frame, which is a disservice as a woman to yourself.
2: (laughs) Yeah, a hundred percent it is. And, you know, I think one of the reasons why, Men have often, through, you know, the centuries have been very focused on women's sexuality as it's a way to try and control the kind of erotic, emotive, earthy aspect of being a woman. And women are earthy, emotional creatures in Mm -hmm. the best sense of that word. Mm -hmm. And so we're highly erotic. I mean, we really are. And we have high sexual capacity and we're kind of not even supposed to acknowledge that within ourselves mm-hmm. and it takes a strong man to really want a full woman who isn't inhibiting herself and editing herself at all terms and I, I'm not talking about being irresponsible in your life or running your life by your lowest most primitive desires right mm-hmm. um, but a lot of times we think that goodness is constriction as opposed to goodness is a kind of self-development that lends itself to a freedom that creates more goodness both within the person and in the relationships around her and so when you are really at peace with who you are and you can be the full person that you are first of all it makes you love your husband more and cherish them because they can handle an entire woman Mm -hmm. (laughs) you can bring your sexuality in that relationship and have it be celebrated and not intimidating and then you feel like you can bring unapologetically who you are to your parenting your parent child relationships to your friendships you are a strength in the world Mm -hmm. and you know the world needs strong women and Mm -hmm. so this is a way to be strong is to is to receive the gift of sexuality and pleasure and the strength that's in woman's feminine nature and not see it as somehow you have to shut it down so you don't threaten a man because only weak men need women to do that
0: Mm mm-hmm Oh, amen to all of that. Yeah. I love that. So, Jen, we're coming to the end of our time with you. Um, we ask every person that we interview to share a habit that has helped them find the magic in their life. Do you have anything that comes to mind?
2: Oh, gosh.
0: I know I put you on the spot. Uh,
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a few. I, I, I have, does it have to be one?
0: No, um, it can be many.
2: Well, one, one of them that's definitely been a habit I think made a huge difference oh. in my life is just a habit of exercise and eating healthfully mm-hmm. um, because it's just a way of sustaining the organism of my body. <laughs> and it's surprisingly important for just allowing there to be a platform that, of health that allows me to just do all the things that I want to do mm-hmm. and to be at peace within my body because I'm treating it I caring for it. So it's a kind of an act of self investment to take that responsibility to my body. Seriously. It's like an act of gratitude to my body to mm-hmm. exercise and to, to eat healthfully. Um, and then, you know, a habit that I think was more pronounced a few years ago, but I made a new commitment to myself around it mm-hmm. is, is just having a self reflective time every day, to kind of anchor into the things that matter most to me,
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Um, you know, just with all the news and the crazy of the last four years, (laughs) I feel like I've been sort of in too much reaction to um, the news cycle, the dings on my phone. And, uh, but, you know, I used to have a habit of really every day spending time in a kind of self-reflective position. Mm -hmm. And so that's at least when I want to re-engage because it's so critical to meaningful development in my life.
0: You're speaking our language. Yeah. I think almost all of our our guests too have mentioned some sort of pondering, meditation, something like that. Yeah. Um, so, what's your favorite go-to kind of exercise?
2: Well, this, oh, you mean for extra physical exercise? Yeah, actually, both. Oh, yeah. Well, physical <laughs> exercise—the thing I love the most is bar do you know is that yeah so
0: fun I love love that so fun it's
2: the best. yeah (laughs) I love it because it's kind of meditative and I feel like it's really ideal for women's bodies and sort of a strong core and all that
0: yeah totally
2: um yeah but I mean in terms of just like a kind of psychological exercise Mm -hmm. it's kind of reminding myself of values or ways of thinking that facilitate who I am throughout the day so kind of anchoring into the woman that I respect how I want to be and uh, engage especially around things that are challenging for me it's like kind of coming to my home base Mm -hmm. and reminding myself of my kind of higher self and my higher ideals and sometimes thinking about any moment that I think that may be challenged anything that is hard for me Uh, so sort of thinking through it from that higher self. And, um, so that's kind of a, a psychological practice that I try to do every day.
0: Well, I love that thought into higher self. You know, I've heard the practice of a future self, which is kind of a similar thought, but I love framing it as higher self. That's cool.
1: Yeah. That's beautiful.
2: Yeah.
0: All right, Jen, well, you were so great. Sorry for the technical difficulties, but thanks for, uh, helping our audience find the magic through your work.
2: Thank you.
1: brown cows
0: hey guys this is felicia i just wanted to give a quick thank you to all of you who listen i really feel inspired and close to our community we got a new review this week and it says ladies i cannot tell you how much i look forward to each episode you produce i love the truth you all share and real examples of how to begin and attain conscious parenting I always walk away feeling inspired and ready to take on any task. Thank you for sharing your knowledge and truths. And I just have to say, it means so much to us when you guys leave reviews, not to mention helps us. So if you feel so inclined to leave a review, just open Find the Magic podcast in your podcast app. Scroll to the bottom of the page, click on Write a Review, and tap the stars to rate us and give us some feedback we love to go here to find questions for episodes and to connect with all of you on what you're wanting us to research and distill and share it just really means so much and we make this podcast for you so thank you all don't forget to hit send on your review all right let's find the magic